Welcome to PostStatus Draft, the official podcast for PostStatus, a website with news and information for WordPress professionals. Today, Joe and I are joined by several experts of the WordPress REST API, and we do a community roundtable podcast. We recorded this podcast in London at a day of rest, a conference that was devoted to the REST API. We were joined by Ryan McHugh, the lead developer of the REST API, Daniel Bach-Huber, a contributing developer to the REST API, Cadam White, Aaron Jorben, and Jack Lennox, each with unique experiences using the REST API. We discussed the talks they did at A Day of Rest, but also about the impact of the new API more broadly as well. If you're at all interested in the REST API, and I hope you are, this is an excellent roundtable to listen to. If you enjoy this podcast, you can get a lot more quality news and analysis from the Post Status Club multiple times per week. Check out our current club members, site partners, and join the club on our website at poststatus.com club. You'll be joining more than 500 wonderful club members, and you'll never miss important WordPress news again. Today, I'd like to feature one of our partners, Pippin's Plugins. If you want to sell downloads, set up content restriction, or start an affiliate program, Pippin's Plugins have you covered. If you need all three, even better. Easy Digital Downloads, Affiliate WP, and Restrict Content Pro are each premier options in their given spaces. Check out all of Pippin's Plugins at pippinsplugins.com. Thank you to Pippin and his team for being a PostStatus partner. Now, here's our show. Hi, my name is Brian. And my name is Joe. And I don't have these sentences in front of me again, which usually says what I should say at this point. But you do know what we're doing, right? <laughs> this is a podcast, and welcome to the Draft Status Post podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> And welcome to the Post Status Draft Podcast, which we we've now done a few times before, but Joe exactly forgot how to I introduce. <laughs> Except you said every word in a different <laughs> yeah. order. Uh, yeah. So we are doing a uh, live show from London, uh, which is where we've been for a few days, or I've been for I've, a few days. Yeah, I've been here. You've been here for a, a little while. Or something. Um, this was the site of A Day of Rest, which was a specialized conference that Human made put on uh, that yeah. was focused on the REST API. And we have a number of guests with us. It's now two Pointing day- us from around the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so five of the eight speakers from a day of rest are here, plus the MC. Uh, so we should introduce our, our audience to our audience. Yeah. Let's start with. My name is Aaron Jorben. I was the MC of a day of rest, and I'm the CTO of Happy Tables. A newly announced position. Hi, I'm uh, Ryan McHugh, uh, co-lead developer on the REST API, senior engineer at uh, Human Made. Hi, I'm Cadam White. I'm an engineer at Boku and the developer of the JavaScript client for the WordPress REST API. Howdy, I'm Daniel. I'm a man on the internet. I'm speaking too closely to the mic. (laughs) (laughs) And you're also a uh, co-lead on the, or a, what do you call that? Contributing developer. Contributing developer on the REST API. I'm a guy that annoyingly submits a lot of pull requests and issues. There you go. And I'm Jack Lennox. I'm a design engineer at Automatic, and I'm very interested in building themes that use the REST API. Uh, and also John Blackburn just walked in, and he may or may not uh, be participating. <clears throat> what do you do, John? <laughs> Hello, post status. Yeah, I'm John Blackburn, uh, one of the core WordPress developers. I'm just passing by, so <laughs> I might come back later on. Sounds good. Um, 
So Alrighty. five of you spoke at the conference. Uh, first off, though, let's just talk about um, what was the conference like? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's the first feature-specific conference I've ever heard of with regards to yeah, WordPress. Yeah, that's true, actually. I guess it was, um, I can't remember, do we have a tagline for this conference? If it was like, was it REST APIs or was it specifically the, the, the WordPress REST It was specifically plugin? for the WordPress REST API. Right, it, it covered that, but also, you know, obviously related things, building stuff on the API and things. It wasn't like it's just about the feature, but um, clearly a huge amount of um, interest and support for, for the whole project, which was great. And uh, so Ryan introduced the conference with his talk where he talked about APIs in general and kind of history of APIs with WordPress and the REST API in particular. So Ryan, can you give us a little bit of an overview of what you talked about? So I kind of gave an intro to the history of the REST API, uh, but also a general history of external APIs in WordPress. Uh, obviously the big one of those is XML RPC, but I also kind of talked about some of the other ones that people don't really consider, which is uh, stuff like Admin Ajax uh, and RSS, uh, including a special shout-out to uh, RSSJS, uh, one of my favorite tickets ever. Which you said was not a very good idea. Uh, yes, I, I did say that, and I stand by my statement. <laughs> um, what was your general feel as far as people that attended the conference? Like, Where were they in terms of their knowledge of the REST API, or was it... Like were they familiar but looking to go deeper, or were they brand new, or were they experts looking to, you know, just talk to other people doing the same type of work as them? I think definitely there was a very, uh, uh, you know, developer-focused kind of, um, you know, uh, mindset uh, at the conference. Um, I kind of so technically my talk was intro to the REST API, but I figured you know the crowd kind of knows a little bit about the REST API. I think they definitely showed that they did. Um, as far as I saw, everybody kind of enjoyed the talk and, and didn't get lost. Um, and so I think everybody kind of knows a bit about the API. Uh, hopefully they know where that came from uh, now as well. Um, yeah, I think in general it was, it was, it was a great turnout. Um, you know, lots of developers from all different scenes. Uh, we had some people who were, you know, just JavaScript developers turning up. Uh, which is an entirely new crowd for WordPress events. And I think that's that's pretty exciting to see people like that coming to WordPress uh, conferences. What impact do you think um, that could have in terms of getting people that are familiar with other frameworks, but not necessarily WordPress, but now they can uh, grab data and manipulate data through the REST API? Like, what, what impact do you think that could have on the community? Well, I think uh, certainly for us to be able to grow beyond 25% of the web, we're going to need to be able to, uh, you know, bring new developers on board. WordPress has always been, you know, the entry point for a lot of people to programming. Uh, but you know, people. How tend many of to, us was that the case? There's uh, there's a lot of raised hands in this room. <laughs> All but you and Joe. You, uh, yeah. Y'all were were you classically trained developers? Uh, definitely not. I uh, I started to contribute to open source for uh, cycle portable apps. Uh, Basically, I was trying to work out ways to slack off at school. Uh, and so because of that, kind of got involved in the programming of that. Uh, and then decided I needed a blog. Eventually found my way to WordPress. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't the entry point for me, but definitely it's been the majority of my life. Um, just in general, actually. And you, uh, 
you were the original author of the REST API as a Google mm -hmm. Summer of Code project mm -hmm. in what year? Uh, so the project actually started at the end of 2012 after the first uh, contributor summit, which was in uh, Tybee Island. Uh, after that, I kind of uh, didn't do much for it uh, for a few months, um, kind of just waiting for Summer of Code so that you know, I'd have some actual time to be able to work on it. Uh, that was about mid-2013, I think. Um, and it's now 2016, uh, in case anybody missed that memo or is listening to this uh, many years in the future. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Uh, and the infrastructure of the API went in this most recent WordPress mm -hmm. release, which was 4.0. Four. Mm -hmm. Good, good thinking. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. I'm a WordPress professional. Yeah. I cover this industry. Yep. I should probably know which release we're on. Um, and that was the infrastructure. What, yep. what does that mean? So basically, uh, I kind of think of the infrastructure as uh, you know a, an API construction kit. Uh, if you want to build a REST API for anything uh, that you've built in WordPress, then this is a great way to get your data out there and provides a great framework for you know, doing things with best practices, uh, making sure that everything's exposed, and, uh, but not too exposed. So you know, privacy and security and all that sort of stuff is kind of you know, handled a little bit for you. Um, basically, this is, this is more for you know, the hardcore developers that are working on their own sites, working on client sites, things like that. Um, it's not generally useful to the long tail of WordPress websites, and that's where the endpoints for the API come in. And the endpoints are what gives specific access to posts and pages and yeah. whatever. So the endpoints are basically uh, exposing everything that's in WordPress core uh, via the REST API. So we, we have, right now, we have an API on every site running 4.4. There's just nothing actually in there. Uh, and so this, the endpoints will take uh, everything that you can see in WordPress, basically, and expose it via that interface. What's an example of the type of plugin that could take the infrastructure alone and utilize it as the base for supporting the REST API? So I think one of the great examples there would be WooCommerce. Uh, WooCommerce actually has a REST API that they forked from version, I think, 1.1 uh, of the REST API uh, plugin. And so they've been developing that kind of separately, uh, and they've missed out on some of the things that we've introduced since then. Uh, I believe their next major release is going to try and bring that back into the fold. Uh, and with that, they should benefit from some of the things that we have. Uh, things like HTTP enveloping, which helps with compatibility uh, with proxies, servers, clients, that sort of thing. Um, some of our JSONP support, including security mitigation, things like that. Uh, basically, just trying to remove all this duplicated code that's uh, currently used for REST APIs. Uh, I think Gravity Forms as well has a REST API. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, that one could probably be migrated over as well. Uh, basically, all these sort of big plugins that have all their own data can immediately benefit from the infrastructure and start building their own APIs. So a lot of people can do a lot of different things with the API, obviously. And Joe, your talk was uh, the building blocks of a REST API project, right? Yeah, and I literally had blocks in my slides, so, you know. And the, was, the video game? Oh, yeah, there was also uh, a fairly weak metaphor to do with uh, <laughs> the game Age of Empires. Uh, but that got a pretty good response, actually, which I was surprised about. So uh, I guess, if nothing else, that was good. So um, specifically, you talked about um, 
kind of the various layers that you may use for a project that uses a uh, REST API. So can you kind of walk us through yeah. the basics of that? Yeah, so uh, I took a, a kind of practical example of a project walkthrough of just all of the different components, building it up kind of uh, bit by bit as you kind of go through the process of building out this product, whatever it was, um, and at each step then introducing a new technology or component tangentially related to the API um, and hopefully to kind of set up a, a framing for people for the rest of the day, really, um, to be able to uh, place maybe all the, the other talks which were uh, you know somewhat more specific and much deeper in those areas to maybe put that in a wider context to be able to un- understand what they were saying a little better. And three of those more specific use cases are from the three other folks we have here. So why don't we just uh, kind of go through each person and talk a little bit about the specific um, example, I guess, that was primary in your talk? Sure. Um, so this is Gadam speaking. I was talking mostly about work that I've done uh, with the JavaScript client that we've been developing for the API. We built that at Boku as part of a client project and open sourced it, um, extracted it from the code base and open sourced it so that it could be a community endeavor. And uh, it was something that we built when we needed to bolt WordPress on top of an existing node application in order to provide a better content management interface for the um, editorial team of our client than we were able to find in the node ecosystem previously. The project itself worked pretty well. The node client, unfortunately, did stagnate for about a year. So I'm actively in the process of upgrading it to support the latest WordPress API beta, um, which is going to be an ongoing effort. It was hopefully going to be completed by this event, but it's definitely going to be uh, in progress over the next month. But I shared some, I guess uh, someone termed it mad science at the after party. I, I like taking different things and combining them. I do this with foods. I apparently now also do this with content management systems. I took <laughs> um, the WordPress database, which provides, as we know, a great source of, of posts and pages and editorial content, and built a bridge so that you can actually take WordPress content and flow it into themes from Ghost, the JavaScript-based <laughs> content management system, which is heavily inspired by WordPress and, and sort of conceptually is a community fork in some ways. Um, they do some really cool stuff, and they have an interesting theming, theming structure. So I built a library, um, sorry, a small server that lets you render WordPress data into a Ghost theme and then use that to generate a static site from your WordPress content. Which was super cool, by the way. That was probably the coolest thing I saw all day. Well, thank you very much. I'm not sure I'd recommend it for production, but I, I like to... Uh, I may or may not be doing that. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it was great because it got a great amount of response, both from the WordPress community and from the Ghost community, because um, I think that we underestimate the degree to which they're excited in seeing the API project and the way that these big, historically monolithic content management systems can be decoupled and modernized as well. Well, I thought it was, uh, it, it's pretty cool that one is running on the other, but uh, what, what was the coolest thing to me is that um, because the you know, REST API is, is fairly open and everything, then you're able to take the feeling RESTful site without any knowledge of, of, of mine or anything and just pipe that data directly into the, the theme. So it's not even, um, it's kind of cool that it's, it's able to bridge those two technologies, but it's even cooler that it's just able to do it in such a, a generic way where you could just plug that into also any other site that is running the REST API and, and render uh, directly into a Ghost theme. 
Yeah, one of the, I think, recurring themes of the conference was how there's basically two kinds of API project. There's very specific implementations where you have a heavily customized site that defines its own data, defines its own endpoints, and um, either themes or plugins or external clients that utilize that data directly, but also, as Joe's alluding to, very broad um, themes and plugins that don't expect any customization of the API and can just use data from any WordPress site equally. The the usage of the theme there also, uh, I, I guess in a, a similar way, like you can have a theme that's specific to your site, but I guess with, with sites that are using the REST API, you can almost do a you know WordPress.com reader style thing, but for any website that uses the REST API and use your own theme to read other people's content so you can kind of just consume the content in, in the way that you want to by doing that. Having the data specified in a, a very predictable way is awesome. The, the, the ghost bridge took about two days to write. A previous project that we did for a WordCamp back a couple years ago used the WordPress.com API and built a backbone client that built a very, very lightweight reader experience. And that honestly took probably an afternoon to write. And I didn't know backbone terribly well at the time. So I think that we underestimate the degree to which this API is going to enable people to build interesting things quickly. And, and that's exciting to me. You've been involved in the WordPress community for a long time, but Boku hasn't really. So how have you been able to advocate for better using WordPress in that environment? Well, we probably wouldn't have used it for that project at all if it weren't for the API, because as I said, we were building a node application. We needed the data to be available in that context. And um, the client that I built happens to be applicable to client-side JavaScript development as well, but it was really built just to get WordPress data from the API into Node. The fact that there was a JSON API and that it was semi-canonical was the uh, crux of the decision about moving forward with it. Otherwise, I think we would have either had to build something ourselves or heavily customize one of the existing options. Um, we've, you know, we run our website on WordPress. It's a platform that we've definitely done some other work on, but for a project like that, without the API, it wouldn't even be on the car on the table. Hmm. Um, so Daniel talked about a more restful WPCLI. What does that mean? That's a great question. And I explained it over about I think 35 minutes, so I'm not sure that my 30-second <laughs> so summary please refer is to your going talk. to do it justice. But the essential idea behind a more RESTful WPCLI is that there's a lot of duplicated internals between the REST API and WPCLI, and so it's, you know, very simply an opportunity to ditch a lot of, those, a lot of that duplication and use the modernization that the REST API represents. Um, but it's also a bit more than that. So that makes WPCLI a client to the REST API, the thin client on top of the REST API that makes it a bit easier to use. But there's also a lot of opportunity for WPCLI to continue to be an application on top of the REST API and use very well-modeled uh, core data um, and, and do you know transformations of sorts. So I talked a, a bit about the opportunities there as well. Um. For somebody that doesn't regularly use WPCLI, what are kind of the base level things like people that people do with it frequently? Right, uh, great question. So WPCLI is a command line interface to WordPress, and the basic idea is that any operation you could do within the WordPress admin, you can do at the command line with WPCLI. Create a post, edit a post, delete a post, create a term, create lots of terms, that sort of thing. It also offers commands um, of functionality on top of uh, WordPress. For instance, WP search and replace 
uh, correctly handles PHP serialized data, which WordPress lets you store in the database. WP Site Empty allows <laughs> you to empty a site of posts, comments, and terms without resetting options and users. So if you just, you know, you're working locally. Wow, I never knew that existed. You need, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. So just go look at the commands. I'm sure you know, you'll have a great afternoon figuring out awesome things that can do. I think the observation of what WPCLI enables is really that it's the fastest interface for WordPress. So anything that you could think of doing with WordPress, you, uh, you know, WPCLI is the fastest way to do it quantitatively in terms of amount of time it actually takes you to do it. Cool. Um, what's you did a Kickstarter around this concept as well. So you're you've been doing some progress reports about what that your timeline is going to look like about implementing some of this work. So. Um, what are some of those timelines? Like, what's your what's your process like day to day for for making this happen? Sure. So the project funded well, the Kickstarter funded about I guess two hundred and twenty five total hours towards the project, which I was planning to do over about six months. Um, I guess that's like you know ten hours a week, fifteen hours a week, something like that. And this past month, and I started at the beginning of the year. So this past month has largely been focused on the REST API. There was additional hours, um, you know, overage from the project that I reallocated towards the REST API project. And given the timeliness and, you know, the fact that we have the potential of getting it merged into 4.5, it seemed apropos to spend most of my time on the REST API. There are a few different components, the more RESTful WPCLI project, which I'll be first doing as a separate subcommand, um, independently installed, along with general improvements to WPSCLI itself. And then near the end of the project, you know, I'll be able to determine the fate overall of the functionality. But it's a few different parts. One, WPCLI needs to discover a REST uh, API on a, on a WordPress instance and discover what endpoints are supported because those are going to vary from site to site. Once it's done so, it registers WPCLI commands. And I have a you know rudimentary version of that working already. Um, That'll let you perform basic operations against that uh, endpoint or that that REST API. Let be uh, local, you know, just kind of accessing your local WordPress install or over HTTP making remote requests. The next big development task for me is authentication. So when you're working against a remote site, you should be able to use some authentication credentials and, you know, create new users, delete comments, that sort of thing. So that's an internal tool uh, using the API. Kadam talked about basically a whole separate application integrating with the API. And then Jack, you talked about uh, theming with the API. So most people, I assume, listening to this podcast understand traditional WordPress theming, PHP templating, WordPress functions, um, template hierarchy. Uh, Most of that goes out the window with theming with the REST API, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, so I spoke about this quite a lot last year. I, I spoke at quite a few WordCamps. Um, and one of the good things I was able to sort of fall back on for this talk was actually focusing on the kind of perceived problems with trying to build a theme that uses the REST API um, because so many things do go out the window. And so there are these kind of obvious things that people raise about search engine optimization, 
and um, repeating yourself with having to like write code both in JavaScript and in PHP and um, yeah, losing a lot of these things that we like about WordPress because like there's problems with um, page load times because they're going to be slower because if you're rendering stuff in JavaScript, you're not giving anything to the client necessarily in the first place. Um, so yeah, so I talked about that and I the kind of wackiest thing that I've kind of been working on recently is what I think is the kind of golden bullet, silver bullet to deal with this problem. I like golden bullets. Golden bullets. <laughs> Even better. Okay with that, yeah. Um, which is to actually be able to generate the theme files automatically from whichever JavaScript environment you're creating your theme. Uh, because I think, like, there's, we've talked about... Um, Can you explain what that means? Uh, yeah, sure. So, so we've talked about, uh, like, specific service um, implementations. If you're running Node or something, you can render on the server. So you can not have this problem whereby if you don't have JavaScript enabled, the whole website just doesn't work. And that's one of the main things people often raise as a problem. Um, it kind of uh, kicked up a bit with the feel, uh, feeling restful website because that's built in this way. And there was a bit of a backlash. Uh, <laughs> no, I feel like uh, maybe um, there, there might, I don't know, some controversy created out of thin air. That, um... <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily giving it any um, kind of credence, but I think, is that the word I'm thinking of? I, it, I think, uh, but there, there, there's validity to it for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and that's the thing. So there's, it's not so much, I'm not saying, I, I like the fact that the Feeling Restful website was made the way it was, and it, I like the fact that it kicked off the debate in a way. Um, but yeah, I think in some ways you don't need to worry about it. But So what I was trying to talk about was being able to do what Feeling Restful has done with, uh, what, what Joe, uh, Joe and Human made have done with the Feeling Restful website, um, and not even have any of the downsides. <laughs> So mm -hmm. that like the haters can't even hate because there's <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a strong word for 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 <laughs> oh, no, I was, but uh, yeah, um, the critiquers uh, can't critique. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just quoting Taylor Swift, you know. I'm not that um, but uh, uh, yeah, I seem to have somehow been uh, now labelled an anti-progressive enhancement. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so I, I really wanted to. So so this kind of the craziest wackiest part, which I. I haven't had a huge amount of uh, traction with yet, so maybe I'm on a maybe I'm on the wrong path. I don't know, but um, is this kind of is this generation of PHP? So if you imagine, if for anyone listening who uses like SAS or less, or anyone who might have used um, like a CoffeeScript kind of pre-compiling language or something, um, when you're doing something like that, you don't care about well, you you care, but you don't think about the those language those files that are ultimately generated. So if you're using SAS, you don't really ever have to look at your CSS. And obviously, you want to make sure that you're writing your SAS in an optimal way to make sure you're not generating like huge amounts of bloated CSS, which is one of the problems that people have often raised with SAS because you get these crazy levels. Nested of nest, about 10 levels. Nesting, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the classic one. Um, so ideally, if you're developing something using something like React, which is, which is kind of one, something that I've had a, quite a lot of experience with, um, you don't want to be having to think about what's going to happen in PHP or whatever. And um, it's possible to generate PHP from your React components. So once you've got this um, scaffolding in place, to Ryan has a look PHP. on his face. <laughs> Ryan's smirking. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe eighty percent of the people are here now thinking Jack is quite possibly insane. But <laughs> <laughs> what I'll say is, is that once you've uh, once you've got the scaffolding in place to do this, you can stop thinking about it. You can build a site like Feeling Restful. Um, and you're going to have all of those theme files automatically generated. And then if you change anything, the theme files automatically change. And so you can then go to it. Like, and, and also the, the thing about this is it's distributable. 
if that's even a word. Um, because one of the big problems with trying to theme with, with the REST API is that say you're going to use Node or something, you can't rely on anyone. Like if you want to sell a theme, no one's going to have Node probably. And, and like having a load of instructions where they have to create a Node server and install an extra plugin that's going to redirect all of their view post links and edit post links from the admin. And like there's this endless list of problems. Um, whereas as much as this might seem like a horrendous idea that what I'm talking about, you can package up a really slick, like single page app theme that you can just, it, it goes in one folder. Someone can install it on WordPress anywhere in any environment and it just works. Like they'll just have, you know, a full on react based right. theme, which I think is pretty exciting. But yeah, I mean, like my, my solution is pragmatic, which is why it's kind of trying to cater to a lot of different. Right. And to confirm essentially what that is, is compiling a WordPress theme from um, from React components. Is that how you would yeah. essentially describe it? Yeah. And I haven't quite got to the point of having a fully featured example. So I think that doesn't help because I can't mm -hmm. actually... I've, like, I've made small amounts of progress in doing this, but I have, I, that's what I'm working on right now. And a bit like Callum, what I intended to have ready for, uh, for the conference was a, was a fully featured theme. That Where does, does the processing part. actually take place? So it's on, it's, uh, that's a very good question because I haven't covered that. Because <laughs> um, that also worries people because they think it's something that's going to happen like on their on server. The server. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a build process thing. So in the same way that if you're using something like CodeKit, which is kind of the GUI. Or Grunt. Or Grunt or Gulp or Webpack now. Um, at the point that your CSS is generated before you ever actually put it on the server, that's, at the, that's the moment where you, these PHP files will also be generated. So like single.php, page.php, and all of those things will be automatically created, and then it's all just packaged up. So you're never, it's not adding any additional load. And, and you can turn JavaScript off, and the theme will just carry on working exactly as it normally would. Um, but you wrote it all in React, which is kind of cool, I think. I, I feel like me and, uh, or, or it seems anyway, your, your um, approach is just different to how, you're, you're right in that it is pragmatic. I'm still leaning towards the let's somehow solve the server-side rendering somehow uh, in, you know, rendering React so you can get past the problems of, you know, your first page load being blank and things like that. You're right in that given the technologies that we have access to now, right, which is, you know, people have PHP on their server, then, um, and, and people typically develop locally with their grunt setup, using those tools the direction that you're going makes sense. I know that a few times I've asked you about, um, you know, whether uh, we can change the ecosystem so people do have Node or change it so they do have additional PHP modules. Um, maybe there are other things like maybe uh, you could um, have a, you know, server rendering proxy or something as a service that, that could be set up again to do that. Just given my, given the for, for some reason the the path that you're going down does not seem right to me, and I'm I'm struggling to explain exactly why. I think um, you're not it, it it is a uh, and and you know doesn't make it necessarily wrong. Um, it it just seems like the the place to solve the problem should be uh, in in front of your React app rather than. Uh, you know, behind, which it's, it, it seems to be how you're, you're doing it. It's kind of on the side of the, the server, whereas it seems the, the, the way that I'm always looking to solve this, and I haven't obviously solved it yet either, uh, is, is to put something else in front of your React application, es essentially. But server. Jack's actually talking about two different things, because one is from a rendering standpoint uh, without JavaScript enabled, but another is a much more 
practical user standpoint that someone can install and activate a theme within WordPress like they've been used to doing forever. I think that we're, in some ways, I think that what Jack's talking about is not actually that dissimilar to what I've been discussing, because when you build a theme that way, when you're opting out of the PHP rendered PHP hook based approach, you're basically making a brand new client application. It just happens to be served from on top of WordPress rather than alongside it, like the example I was alluding to earlier. And I think that's definitely what makes WordPress, I think will generate renewed interest in WordPress from companies that have previously moved towards other solutions is that they can leverage the data in sort of these standalone or stand on top of applications. But I think the use case we're overlooking both myself and Jack is that the REST API also enables existing um, PHP or you know Backbone or lightweight JavaScript based plugins and themes that have existing, I think what's been termed in the past, islands of inter interactivity on their pages to be written much more efficiently and to become much more powerful. Yeah, I think on that point, um, as, as a, to, to slightly widen that out a little bit, I hope that we're not um, uh, frankly scaring people by, by saying that this is now how we're going to develop themes. This is, you know, um, and, and I think maybe that's somewhat intimidating is that uh, your, your general theme developer knows the tools that they use and maybe it seems like there's all of us side on the side of this API saying oh this is how we should now develop themes and we're still exploring how to do it but you're right it's like currently very convoluted and complicated to even get something like this up and running and I just hope that um, people still see the use cases of uh, like Kat was saying that uh, you know, you can have your normal, you know, WordPress theme running and you can use the REST API to power some infinite scroll or something like that on it. Um, so it still has a lot of, a lot of something practical uses. Right, exactly. Yeah, and actually that's something, um, that kind of sense of scaring people is something that I've tried to step back from. Like what I was talking about last year, I got like really carried away with this, with, well, with the idea of building like JavaScript based themes last year. Uh, I did get carried away, and uh, so, and I was talking at conference. I was talking at WordCamps and saying, like, you know, we've all got to change. We've got to do something totally crazy. And to some extent, I still think that. Like, I think that um, I do think it's time for a, a facelift. You know, uh, I was chatting with um, Kirk White, who's also who, we, we've both served on the theme team at Automatic, and um, and yeah, like he he kind of said the same thing. I think that as what I've been saying is about how pretty much since theming was introduced to WordPress, it effectively hasn't changed like it's just been this one way of doing it um and that's been fine because obviously it's changed in the sense that themes have got more and more beautiful and uh things like sass and stuff have obviously been introduced and these other kind of tools along the way um but if you want to get to this point where as a theme developer and this is where i think i get quite a lot of um interest from theme developers when you demonstrate something like really nice animations between content on your website um that's the kind of thing that almost any designer is gonna is gonna want because they they want good user experiences. They want you want you want your website to be as nice to use as your favorite app or, or whatever on your on your phone. And and that's something I was talking about a lot last year. Like if native applications work like websites at the moment, but like people would just think they sucked. You know, if if you had to like click and then wait and then it goes white and then it comes back and like nothing happens in between, like that's just a terrible experience. And and every time you do something, it has to go back to the server, even though probably nothing's changed and. There's all these problems and yeah, so, but it's funny because in a way it's, it's, I, I'm really pro like moving to node and just kind of in a way, like, I, I think that's great. Like, let's just throw it all in the bin and just, <laughs> and, and just use the rest API and like, like make these wonderful applications. But like that in a way, 
if you're worrying about scaring developers, like that's just completely leaving them behind. <laughs> like you just go off on a, on a totally new road and, uh, and you're doing nothing that anyone who's ever done anything with WordPress can relate to. Um, I'm just kind of gesturing. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think uh, some of the stuff that Jack is working on kind of looks a little insane to us. Um, I, I hope that's, that's fair that to say. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's also important that like, you know, people are actually experimenting and, and kind of pushing the frontier here. Um, you know, we need to work out, uh, you know, what we're going to actually do with this thing. And without doing, you know, stuff that might look crazy, um, things that people don't understand, we're, we're not going to be able to push the, the front there. Um, I think like React is a great example itself of that. When that was kind of first introduced, it, it brought in this uh, GSX syntax where, you know, you have XML-style stuff inside your JavaScript, and that looked pretty insane. But people kind of got used to that, uh, and some people actually prefer it now. Uh, and I think people just need to give, give new ideas a chance to flourish. You know, it, it might turn out that there's better ways to do this. Who knows? Uh, but the fact that we have people actually pushing this, I think, is really important. I think that what we can actually be see happening is a... WordPress not becoming an application nearly as much as it becomes a standardized uh, REST standard. And so, like, you actually have WP admins that are, you know, built on the WP REST uh, API, and you have themes that are built on the WP REST API. And at that point, like, why does WordPress need to exist as Word as WP API? Like, you would easily have a Rails app, a Ruby, a Python app, a Go app that is the, that is WordPress that just, you know, follows the WP API standard and suddenly like you actually have WordPress without WordPress. So there. WordPress becomes WordPress as we know it today becomes just the PHP version of that. I I def, I was definitely joking with somebody over the weekend about um maybe we'll use the REST API to move themes or to use the REST API and then we'll switch to the WordPress REST API for a different implementation and that's how we migrate twenty five percent of the web off of WordPress. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's an absolute possibility. and I mean, it's one of those things that's both scary, but also incredibly powerful at the same time. Like the fact that, you know, if you look at the fact that like WordPress right now, the XML RPC API actually implements like bloggers version of XML RPC. Um, are we going to see Ghost implement WP API's version of a RESTful JSON API? Are we going to see you know, there be a Rails module that an easily enables uh, WP-compatible REST API, a node module as well. Like, it is entirely possible that these libraries that people like Cadm are building, that, you know, Jack is building, like, these applications that are going to actually be what causes the death of WordPress <laughs> as much as it causes the success of WordPress. Is it not the evolution of WordPress, though? Yeah, to an extent, I've, I've said before, you know, if we... If we don't reinvent ourselves, somebody else will do it for us. Uh, I think it's important that, like, you know, the WordPress philosophy continues regardless of what happens in the technology sort of sphere. Um, you know, if we end up partially killing WordPress because of this, I think that's okay as long as, you know, the spirit of WordPress kind of continues on. I would say at the same time, though, that something I've always been very cognizant of as I, I came into programming through the WordPress community, and I do think that. It's, it's funny that at, on, this, on the one hand, at events like this, we do need to practice what I termed earlier mad science in order to get people to start thinking about the possibilities because it's our experimentation right now that's driving the refinement of the REST API, particularly as it 
continues to iterate and plug in before and before it gets merged into core. Unless we build stuff and see what doesn't work and take action accordingly, we're not going to have as solid a platform or component to build with later on. But we also, I think, need to be aware that we are asking developers that want to step into WordPress to have a lot more skills from the get-go. And something that I've been working on is taking this very node-oriented application client library that I've built and abstracting it into something that somebody can just drop into a WordPress theme or a plugin as a raw JavaScript file. I think we need to all be aware that the documentation and the tooling that we build on top of the API, if it's not beginner-friendly and if it's not robust, that's going to, I think, be counter to what I see as part of the spirit of WordPress being inclusivity and accessibility. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I was uh, at APIConf about a year and a half ago, I think. Uh, somebody pointed out that WordPress has managed to introduce programming to, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of developers. And now we have a real chance to introduce, you know, APIs to even more developers. Um, WordPress is where a lot of people start their programming journey. Uh, and, you know, the APIs are a huge part of the web now. If we can introduce more people to that, um, you know, I, I think only WordPress can do that, basically. Mm. Aaron, I'm interested in your take. Uh, if you put on your publisher's hat for a second, <laughs> um, you worked at Condé Nast and worked on multiple websites there, uh, The New Yorker, uh, Wired, and others. Yep. Um, how are big publishers looking at the API? In many ways, a lot of publishers actually don't want to be involved in WordPress. Um, most publishers that I've talked to uh, actually don't, they view themselves as unless they have full control over their CMS, uh, they can't actually accomplish their goals. Um, they view themselves as needing to really like have complete control over it. Is that from an editorial standpoint of like the way they manage things in the admin or is it the way the things are portrayed on the front end? Everything. Okay. Um, absolutely everything. Like the, in fact, most publishing companies would want, would want to call themselves technology companies now. And so if you talk to, for instance, uh, Vox, and they have a application called Chorus, um, which, you know, People from the outside would call their CMS, but they actually don't consider it a CMS. They consider it like the core application of their entire company. Um, and yes, like it has functionality that would be a CMS, but that make it a CMS. But that doesn't actually make like they view that as that's what they build, and editorial uses that. And chorus, for example, more than managing websites, it can manage email campaigns or it can manage what I mean, I mean I'm not a hundred percent sure of all the capabilities of it. Um, but I know that like the, like the use it for everything, they use it for advertising and for managing. But generally ads. the idea is like, it's just the basis of their operations. Yes. And, uh, in a situation like that, I guess quartz is an example of one that uses the wordpress.com API, but they do use WordPress as a similar basis of their operations. And do you think that with the REST API, publishers could use uh, the API as a part of that base layer? I'd like to think so. I think that what's going to have to happen in order for that to really succeed is a few more uh, Calypso-like applications to come out 
and those end up getting forked more than anything else. And so you end up with, you know, Calypso as a base, but it becomes, you know, the New Yorker's version of Calypso um, powering a, you know, and WordPress at that point, like I was mentioning before, just becomes a data store. Um, and eventually, if they keep using the PHP version of the data store or the, you know, override it and create their, you know, Lua version of it or Haskell version of it or, you know, I don't know if any, any other Jack languages ever actually wrote anything <laughs> together. I feel like they'd rewrite WordPress like in, <laughs> like in pure binary. <laughs> <laughs> Not true. <laughs> And even more so than publishers, we can transition into your new product role. Uh, Happy Tables is another example. You know, it's, this is a first of all, I guess, give a ten second. What's Happy Tables, and then how can it be? Uh, how can it utilize the API in the same way? Uh, so Happy Tables is uh, so it exists as a product today, but we're actually rebuilding it uh, in a completely different space. Uh, what we're doing is we are uh, enabling restaurant operators to better connect with their data so that they can make smarter, more informed decisions uh, based on that data. And so um, it's, right now it is using WordPress, um, and the version that's in development right now uses the WordPress REST API, uh, but it uses it in a much different way. So it, you know, it uses the API, but like the data is not going to live in the WordPress database. Um, it'll get connected to in a completely separate manner. Um, and, but it will still use the WordPress API. The ni- one of the nicest parts about the WordPress API is that it doesn't require the data source to actually be WordPress. Um, you can connect to uh, a Postgres database. You can connect to Couch. Um, you can connect to anything you need to connect to to actually pull data out and serve it through WordPress. So can you draw that for us a little bit to... <laughs> Um, well, but, sure. Let me just take out my imaginary audio pen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like if I, let's say I'm, uh, I'm going to a restaurant website, which I guess is their basis of operations. What are some of the things that y'all can connect? And like, how does the, how does the data get back to the restaurant owner to make better decisions? Sure. So a lot of the initial data that we're going to be pulling in is uh, like sentiment data. Um, so actually looking at the reviews across uh, 60-some different websites um, and then doing some basic sentiment analysis on it. So like, you know, this review, you know, maybe it's three stars, but was it really actually a positive three stars or a negative three stars? Mm. Um, you, you think about like movie reviews, for instance, uh, and the fact that like getting four stars from some movie reviewers is incredibly difficult. Um, and in fact, like a two-star review from you know, a Roger Ebert actually was a decent review. Like it meant that you did a good job making the movie. Um, like, but two stars, like it seems like, Oh, you got 50%. And we think about like in America academia, 50%, like you got an F you failed mm-hmm. um, in most classes. Like I know you took engineering courses, <laughs> so it's a little different. The curve versus my liberal arts Bell curves degree. Are nice. <laughs> um, and so like figuring out like, and actually analyzing the sentiment, of it and figuring out were they positive, you know, maybe they were positive about the food, but negative about the ambiance or, you know, other way around. Maybe, maybe they really loved the food, but had horrible service. Um, and so pulling that out, additionally, pulling out uh, point of sales data. And so trying to do better projections for them. Like right now, a lot of the legacy point of sales systems are atrocious. Uh, we think about like the CMS world and the fact that like people that have used 
other CMSs look at WordPress, they're like, oh my God, WordPress is light years ahead of these. Um, if you looked at the CMS world, you would think, or the POS system world, you would actually think those CMSs were ahead of the curve. Um, these are not beautiful pieces of technology. And so uh, getting reports out, for instance, could just be a giant hassle. So presenting that data in a way that's actually useful and you know, that does a lot of the stuff automated for them. So actually, you know, analyzing like recent, uh, like looking at the 20 most recent Tuesdays and seeing like, this is what Tuesday is expected to be like. Like let's do, you know, some analysis on it and actually look at like, all right, so what's the standard deviation, you know, of the curve for that Tuesday? And, you know, are there outliers? Like what, and then, you know, from there, what creates that outlier? Um, and start looking at more and more of that data. So Ryan, as the principal architect of this API, how do all these different use cases, uh, <laughs> when you hear about people talking about using it in all these different ways and all these applications, I mean, what does that make you think? And how well prepared is the API for, for this type of uh, use and abuse? Uh, I think uh, with the API, we've certainly done... I personally think. Uh, You've done a great job. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, no, I think we've done, uh, you know, a, a great job with setting it up for people to use. Uh, I think the infrastructure there is something that we've spent quite a lot of time on uh, and mostly has stood the test of time. Um, I believe there's actually code in Core's infrastructure that we actually merged in uh, that didn't change basically, since we started the API. Um, and so I think that that's kind of a good indication that you know, we are enabling people um, to be able to create you know, whatever they want with this. Uh, it's kind of amazing to me just thinking about all of the crazy ways the API can be used in. Uh, I heard uh, one example, which was tracking fireflies, uh, where each firefly was essentially a custom post uh, and then we're using the REST API. I hope there wasn't many fireflies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and, and stuff like that is just like, I couldn't even dream that up. I don't think very many people could. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, APIs from other services, like when I think of MailChimp or something, mm -hmm. um, you know, they version their API, and mm -hmm. they go from version 1 to version 2, and when they do that, it creates breaking changes that causes them to have to basically completely change it so that people are referencing something new. And that impacts a whole lot of other people and what they have to do. So with WordPress, we're on version two now, and that's the stable version that's going <coughs> to you know, be what people first mm -hmm. use WordPress uh, and the API together as in a production environment, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> people have used V1 in production, but you know what I mean. So what's going to influence... V2 to V3 or V3 to V4, like what's the type of stuff that would be breaking changes and how, like how, so, how is decision making going to happen? You know what I'm, you know. Yeah, so uh, WordPress is very strict about backwards compatibility. Essentially, you could take code today that was written for WordPress 0.72 and it would probably still run and probably still work. Um, it gets even harder when we're working with an external API. There's all sorts of tricks that you can use, that you can use um, sort of in internal code 
uh, in PHP. Um, you can send people warnings about things they're using that uh, you know aren't recommended. Doing that over an external API is uh, orders of magnitude harder. So we've kind of taken the in, approach in the sense of like just telling them they're doing it wrong. Yeah, exactly. Uh, currently, if the if they're using something that's deprecated, uh, we're actually sending them an extra header over the wire. Uh, but it's quite easy to miss. Um, there are some application developers that will probably not even notice, notice that that's there. Um, we've kind of taken the view with the development that uh, this version uh, needs to last at least 10 years. Um, and so the idea is that basically we can't do any breaking changes from when we push this out until, you know, we want, to, we want this to last for a long time before we have to change anything. Uh, WordPress will undoubtedly continue to develop uh, and eventually we'll need to make breaking changes. But the idea is to have this last as long as possible. Um, thankfully, we can still make changes as long as they're not breaking changes. So adding new functionality, for example, doesn't break anything. Uh, you kind of just opt into it if it's there. Uh, and so in, in that respect, we can actually uh, continue to change the API without breaking compatibility. In, in the case of, um, you know, let's say some bug exists where, uh, I don't know, maybe output of value is an array when it's not meant to be or something. Obviously, something like that we can't just fix. What, what's the, what is your um, proposed solution to that? Do we just leave that like that for the next 10 years? Or um, I guess, you know. Yeah, so basically, if we have any bugs uh, and we can't fix them without breaking compatibility... Uh, that's going to have to be a call on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, there are cases in WordPress where backwards compatibility has already been broken in the past uh, to fix particularly serious security bugs. Mm -hmm. um, so I expect that you know, we, we may have issues where that happens. Uh, that will be the minority of cases, though. For the most part, if it's not a security issue, it will stay broken forever. Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of a scary thought because if we screw this up, uh, then it's screwed up forever for mm -hmm. a quarter of the web. So the, uh, the uh, currently we have uh, WP slash V2. It, it seems uh, you're, you're saying that if we have, um, you know, WordPress supports custom comment types in WordPress 5 or something. Fingers crossed. Then we'd presumably add that at WP slash V2 also, because it's part of the same version, right. but extra stuff. Right, so the, the version number uh, on the API is more about breaking changes. If we can introduce mm -hmm. anything that doesn't break, uh, it will continue to be added. Uh, this is kind of similar to the way browsers work with feature detection. So the idea is that rather than checking for a specific version number, you would instead check to see if the route is registered. Um, mm -hmm. If some new stuff suddenly appears, you can use it. If it's not there, then you fall back to whatever your fallback is. Right. So you don't actually envisaging uh, like AWP slash V3 for really quite some time. Yeah. Ideally, we'd never need one, but realistically, we will probably need one. What kind of examples are there of APIs lasting this long? Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, I'm not sure there actually are any examples of APIs that have lasted that Going long. Going for the record. Yeah, um, I mean, we face some really interesting problems with the REST API. Um, certainly there are APIs out there that operate at scale and things like that, um, but there aren't really that many that operate 
uh, in a distributed way at the same scale. It's it's interesting that uh, you know WordPress is WordPress has a, a philosophy of, of backwards compatibility, which is arguably one of its uh, you know greatest strengths and reasons why it has so much market share. If you look at the very large APIs that are out there now, um, let's take Google Maps or the Facebook API. These have a fairly aggressive, I would say, uh, push forward and deprecation of old APIs, removing old APIs. It seems the ecosystem of using APIs is somewhat used to uh, third-party APIs needing updating on a couple-of-year basis. Does that change the landscape at all around... Uh, does the same rules apply, I guess, that WordPress needs to be backwards compatible in such a major way? The interesting thing about that is that those changes are frequently done from a very different kind of relationship between the API provider and the API consumer. I think that when Twitter switches to a new API, I can't imagine any reason why they would want somebody to continue using the first one, especially because they've progressively locked down their API functionality over time. They've, as they realized the degree to which um, limiting and shaping the way that people use their data was directly tied to their growth and to their goals, um, it behooved them to tighten that a little bit. There's a book I've been meaning to read for a while called The Whale and the Reactor that's all about the relationship between technological change and sort of political and social influence and power. That's the position from which a Facebook or a Google or a Twitter is coming at an API change. Whereas with WordPress, I think that it's actually critical for us to think about that backwards compatibility side of things because if we are putting out an API and then we're making it you know, more difficult to use over time or just falling victim to the same notion that when we have a whim or there's some new thing that we need to support, we just change everything and expect everyone to catch up. That's not how WordPress has operated in the past. That's not what's made WordPress the community and platform that it is today, in my opinion. Right. I, I definitely... Uh, agree with that. I, I take a slightly less skeptical view on why something like Facebook does deprecate their API. I definitely overstated that. <laughs> <laughs> right, and I think uh, we, we have to, or presumably we would agree that there is a level of trade-off when you're going to uh, commit to a very strong amount of backwards compatibility. Um, and given the, the confines that, that, that you have, so Facebook, for example... Uh, want to be able to use new technology for whatever reasons. Maybe it is technologically driven, as in they can do things more performant, give you different functionality, things like that. So they think it's generally better to get everybody keep on moving and, and updating. And they worth that. They think that that is worth the trade-off, right, of um, locking some people out, essentially, for doing that. Now, given that their motives are just driven by technology, uh, I guess it would seem that given everybody else is somewhat doing it, then uh, developers that are interacting with all different APIs are just maybe a bit more used to it in the context of when they start also interacting with the WordPress API rather than uh, the way that WordPress development has been thus far. That's an interesting point. That brings it almost more in line with something like browser evolution, where if you're maintaining a very old browser, to what extent is that actually going to mean that people continue using it in a way that prevents the greater community from taking advantage of all browsers equally? I haven't really considered that side right. of things. Well, one of the big differences between this and browsers is that a browser, you're using the browser, you're not necessarily connecting huge other services to the browser functionality. So like, even if WordPress has auto-updates and we can 
you know, we can update WordPress websites. It doesn't update the services that are interacting with WordPress websites. Yes, that's definitely true. Um, another thing that comes to mind is maybe as um, depending what the primary use cases are for the API or, or who's using it most. If, for example, uh, let's just a hypothetical that 80% of WordPress uses actually WordPress to WordPress. If WordPress has actually got a very good upgrade rate, then you thinking out aloud, but um, as you're upgrading both pieces of software for different people, right? People are talking to each other's WordPresses, then maybe there is room to also bake compatibility in via the fact that you know that you're going to be upgrading also 80% of your clients as well as the host. I think... Uh... I think one of the nice things, though, about us not breaking backwards compatibility is that the choice of how compatible to be moves on to the clients. Um, and essentially, you can use the new features that will eventually come up in the REST API as long as you're willing to uh, you know, only support a subset of WordPress sites. Um, I could definitely see in the future there being something like, can I use, uh, but for WordPress sites. Uh, kind of tracking, you know, what percentage of WordPress sites actually support a given feature that might have been introduced. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, you know, all or nothing kind of thing. Obviously, based on this discussion, the uh, REST API is going to be a big part of WordPress's future and a, a permanent part. So, I mean, it's it'll be around a while. And there's a lot of work to do. Uh, we obviously had a productive week here or a few days here depending on how long people spent um feeling restful was a success i think uh everybody agrees with that yeah i think so there's definitely um we we sent out a survey directly after and and uh, i haven't looked through anything but i think the the response of every that that did make it was very positive obviously we'll we'll kind of know in in a little while exactly how that shapes up um but i'm feeling pretty good about everything uh, myself, anyway, at the moment. And um, we'll probably see more feature-specific conferences, uh, niche developer conferences uh, around WordPress features, including potentially uh, another Feeling Restful, right? Maybe, sometime? You never know. <laughs> maybe, maybe to, uh, you know, I guess, watch this space. I don't want to say anything. <laughs> TBD. Um well, I guess we should wrap it up there because I just heard delicious Asian food come through the door. Uh, and yeah, thanks everybody for joining us real quickly. Let's go around the horn and just say again your name and then... Your Twitter. Your Twitter. Everybody, everybody Twitters here, I think. My name is Aaron Jorben and I Twitter at Aaron Jorben. My name is Ryan McHugh, and I Twitter at Amacu. How do you spell that? Uh, that's, uh, I forgot for a second. <laughs> <laughs> that's one M, two Cs. Uh, I misspell that every you. time. I'm trying to reference him on GitHub. <laughs> um, I am K. Adam White, and I am K. Adam White on Twitter, GitHub, and most other things. I'm Daniel Bachhuber. I didn't say much because I was shipping code. <laughs> like y'all to know that we are at 99 closed pull requests against the REST API repo. So very soon we will be at the 100. 999. 
Sorry, 999. <laughs> I thought the numbers, numbers are difficult. Wow, one more pull request in a thousand. That is pretty Sorry, awesome. I'm distracting though. But um, yeah, my last name's hard to spell. So you can search for a retweet if you love big cloves of garlic on Twitter. And you'll find <laughs> it. I'm Jack Lennox. Um, it's with one N. So Jack, L-E-N-O-X. And uh, people say it sounds like Jackal Knox. <laughs> looks like Jackal Knox, yeah. Uh, and I'm at Krogsgaard. Yeah. I am at Joe underscore Hoyle. I think I'm the only one with a sucky character in that Twitter. <laughs> Except for post status. That's true. You should follow post underscore status on Twitter as well. Uh, and we'll catch y'all next time. Thanks.